Hello and welcome to the Hal Anderson Podcast. Coming up, Mike Conkin, our global weather specialist on the hot weather and now the cool weather. Ian Rabb will be on the podcast from Aurora Recovery Center. We're going to talk about process addictions. And Lucille Bruce, the CEO of End Homelessness Winnipeg, will join us. We'll talk about panhandling. Please rate this podcast and please subscribe to this podcast. And now the podcast. Joining us now, global weather specialist Mike Conkin, who has been on holidays for 14 weeks. Welcome back, sir. Hey, great to be back, Hal. (laughs) I heard you talking earlier with Kathy Kennedy uh, about all the travels, Alaska, and all kinds of stuff. It was weird not having you around, man. Like It was weird not having you on TV, and it was weird not being able to talk to you when the weather was a story. Let me tell you, it was weird from this side, too. Uh, it's been a long time since I've taken more than a long weekend. So, yeah. yeah, saved up the vacation and then spent a big chunk of it all at once to go from, yeah, all the way west and then spent some time back in Ontario where I grew up as well. Excellent. Well, that's great. Everybody needs a break like that once in a while. And, yeah, most of us don't get to take breaks like that, but every, you know, three or four years. So I'm glad you got a, a break. You deserve it. Hey, let's talk about this weird weather on the weekend. What was the hottest it got on the weekend? Actual temperature, not humidex. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk without the humidex because we can still put up huge numbers even without it. So yeah. yesterday, Saturday was smoking hot. Yes, uh, but Sunday was actually the hotter one. Morton got up to over 39 degrees, 39.1. So that broke a record from back in 1910. And Winnipeg yesterday, our official temperature was 37.5. But with the humidity, we were up into the mid 40s. So it was ridiculously hot. And Saturday wasn't a whole lot behind that. Winnipeg, 37.1 degrees there. Melita was the hottest on Saturday as far as record setters go. 38.5. Again, these temperatures all without humidity. Yeah. I'll tell you, my dog Hershey, who is a bit of a princess, she does not like going outside when it's wet or when there's new snow or, you know, but even heat normally is not a problem for her. But on the weekend, she was like, you know what? I think I'll hold it for another couple hours. I don't want to go outside. It's too hot. Oh, yeah. The the heat over the weekend was next level heat, generally through the summer, because we'll look at the record temperatures uh, most days, especially on Global News at 10 on TV. And the records generally, if you're in that 34 to 36 range, you have a good chance of coming close to or beating a record. We haven't seen 37s very often at all. So these were easily the hottest days that we've had so far this summer, and we've had a ton of days over 30 from i looked it up may through august typically you'll get around 13 ish days over 30 we've already had 21 yeah that's the crazy. heat started in may five days in may more over 30 days in may than in june yeah that's just that's a weird summer isn't it yeah this is uh this is quite hot the weather patterns generally across the country it seems over the last couple of weeks the most common warning or advisory uh we were seeing was for heat. The prairies were just littered with heat warnings. And when I was out west, even in the territories, Whitehorse was right around or over 30 degrees the entire time I was out there. You go to the territories for the heat. Yeah, no kidding. And then my mom, my mom called me. I was leaving the station on Friday night after doing the show. My mom called from Southern Alberta, Lethbridge, and she said, Hal, I'm watching the TV right now, the Weather Channel. It just clicked over to 40. That was the actual temperature in Southern Alberta on Friday. 
Oh yeah, it's absolutely wild how how hot it's actually getting. I think we like we're under a cold front right now. If you look at a satellite picture, you'll see kind of it looks like a question mark almost with some rain and some cloud cover over top of northern Manitoba, and we're kind of in the the bendy part of it, so to speak, with that uh, with all this cloud. So that's keeping things pretty cool, and the temperature is fairly flat for us today, which I think nobody is going to be complaining about because it was just it was too hot. Yeah, it's it's a nice break, but there is a limit. So explain Uh how long this cooler weather might last, this cold front. How long is it going to stick around? Well, we get uh, we're essentially sitting under the front today. Uh, Essentially, this is this is your day. Open the window, stick your head out. That is the weather uh, well into the evening. But the nice thing is we are going to start to clear in behind the front. So that's going to happen more overnight and high pressure will build in behind it. So tonight you can actually open up the windows and your house will cool down naturally which will be wonderful so by the morning a little bit cooler and we're going to get nice sunny skies tomorrow but kind of sitting right under the high pressure system so some cooler winds out of the north will keep the temperatures just a little bit below seasonal we'll get over 20 should be a lovely day and then starting wednesday and through saturday we get the heat back so wednesday through saturday likely to be right around or just over 30 degrees I called Ian Rabb a while ago up at Aurora Recovery Center. Ian is a former addict, and now he helps addict. And I said, addicts, I said, do you help people at Aurora get over uh, and deal with addiction to, say, a video game? And he said, yes, we deal with process addictions all the time. So that's what uh, Ian joins us on the phone here. So that's what it's called, eh, Ian, a process addiction? Uh, So process addictions are anything from gambling to sex to phone use, to gaming, um, anything that's outside of a substance. Substance addiction is called substance addiction. We know that, alcohol, drugs, things we ingest, and those uh, cause one type of addiction. But as we're seeing more and more, um, most people are multi- have multiple addictions, and uh, very often process addictions are one, are one of them that we have to deal with. Okay, so I've got a question. Um, is one addiction, whether it's a process addiction, uh, stronger or worse than any other addiction? Like, for example, is uh, addiction to meth uh, worse or harder to uh, beat than, say, a process addiction? I would actually suggest that process addictions uh, might even be more difficult than actual physical addictions. Hmm. You have to remember, um, when, you're, when you're dealing with a process addiction, or, or let me go back for a sec. We, we know from research the number of people that uh, end up killing themselves because of gambling addictions, which are process addictions. Right. It's very hard. You know, it's very easy to stay away from a substance. Sometimes it's very hard to stay away from your computer or a game or even work or your phone. So process addictions are a little more tricky, in my opinion, to treat, although the fundamental problem around addiction is the same as if it was meth or alcohol or cocaine or benzos or opiates. Gotcha. Yeah. So the you know it's, it's, the the reason people get involved in process addictions are no different than the reasons people get into addiction with alcohol or drugs. It's the same reason, and actually, a lot of the treatment is actually very much the same as well. 
Yeah, and it's funny, I read more and more all the time now about process addictions, right? Whether it's video games or, like you said, gambling. And I, I read more and more about that. So my question to you was, are you seeing more of that at Aurora? I realize Aurora hasn't been around for that long, but are you seeing more? Would, would you agree with the stories I'm reading and, and, and that sort of stuff? I would agree 100%. You know, we're not seeing lots of people that come in with just process addictions. I would say, you know, 5 to 8% of people coming in with just a process addiction. But what we're finding is people coming in with multiple addictions. So very often they will be, be addicted to a substance and, and have a supplementary addiction to gaming or, uh, you know, different applications on their phone or gambling or sex or shopping or one of the other process addictions. Mm-hmm. So right now, you know, so people, people haven't... Um, bought in yet, I don't think, to the idea that process addictions need to be treated like other addictions. So we're seeing it, I think it will increase incredibly in the next five years. Yeah, and, and you're right, because I, I don't think the general public has reached that point where they understand that some of this stuff can be an addiction. I don't, I don't think people buy, like one that I can uh, think of, uh, you know, fairly recent is being addicted to sex. When people first heard that, they thought, well, this is ridiculous, you know, that's crazy. But yet we now, I think, realize, well, sure, it's real. Well, it's real. And think about um, Tinder and Grindr and all these app, Match.com and all of these applications where people are accessing uh, sex and relationships really, mm. really, really quickly. And they're, you know, into one over the next day, they're in the next one, they're always looking the search the search for that person or that sex is no different than the search when someone decides they're going to do drugs and want to look for drugs. And we have that in our hand 24-7. If you think about it, we're, we're sitting there, you know, matching all day. Yeah. Um, and and, and so, so, you know, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, a 12-step group you know, that exists around sex and love addicts is, is very successful because of this exact same reasons. Is it uh, is it true that you can a person can have an addictive personality where they may be addicted? You mentioned already people can be addicted to several things at once. Is it is that true? Is there such a thing as an addictive personality? Somebody who can be more easily become addicted to whatever. I, I would agree, and, I, and I've talked about that before many times. I think there's two things that create the f- perfect environment for someone to become addicted, whether it be process or gum or alcohol or, or, or drugs, and that is we all know that there's some form of trauma, childhood trauma that exists in you know 99% of the cases of people that become addicted, and then if you have a genetic link in your family, um, and that can be great uncles, you know, great uncle Tom that was drunk at every Christmas. You know, it could be anybody. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to be an immediate family member, but very often you'll have a genetic link coupled with that trauma. And when you've got that trauma, you've got a perfect environment for someone to end up being become addicted to, whether it be process or stimulant addiction. Mm-hmm. What are the outside uh, influences, uh, you know, if somebody's addicted to, uh, let's just say, uh, cocaine for the sake of this argument. So you're addicted to cocaine. Talk a little bit about the lifestyle, because it's not just the drug you become addicted to, is it? It's it's everything around that. And I think of Demi Lovato. She's a big star. She's got everything. And yet, you know, she's back fighting this again, fighting her addictions, fighting those demons. You lived an incredibly, when you were an addict, 
you hung out with celebrities, you lived a, a wonderful life. How much of this other stuff becomes part of the addiction? Well, yeah, I was going to say I don't need to use the addiction to coke as an example. I'll use my own life as an example. Right. And and there's a few things that happened. In the beginning, yes, it was very exciting and fun. I was hanging out with, you know, um, with movie stars and professional athletes and, and, you know, on private jets flying all over in Vegas every second weekend. And it all seemed very exciting. It didn't take away from the fact that, you know, deep down within me, there was a hole that I was trying to fill, and I was still very lonely and insecure and sad. It, you know, I always talk about, you know, you have a huge ego and no self-esteem is usually the case of most people that become addicted. Right. And yes, the lifestyle becomes very much part of the addiction. And later on in my addiction, you know, I started hanging out with people that were involved in organized and disorganized crime. And that became part of the addiction. And the money became part of the addiction. And the power became part of the addiction. Right. And ultimately, even the way I used drugs and alcohol became part of the addiction. Right. So, you know, getting it using it, how you prepare it, where you use it, when you use it, you know, what you do after you use it, it all becomes part of the addiction. For me, mm-hmm. methamphetamine and, and, uh, and sex addiction went hand in hand um, because it's a stimulant and very often people go towards that lifestyle, towards either sex, sex trade or ultimately, or, ultimate, or ultimately illegal activity because of it. Yeah, and you could even take that to something like uh, being a cigarette smoker, right? And how going out for a break and hanging with your buddies and, you know, it's all, and the physical motions that go along with uh, cigarette smoke or, or you know, meth or, or whatever the addiction is. Absolutely. And why do, you know, usually people, they go for a cigarette, they go to relax or they go to unwind or they Mm -hmm. go to talk to their friends. You're right. There's, there's all, all of these processes that are part of the addictive behavior. Food. I know that when I got clean and sober in the beginning, food became very important for me and it was the same foods and I, and I would, I would access them and I would need them in my house. I, I always make the joke that I became a strawberry addict, you know, and I couldn't go to bed without fresh strawberries, but Mm. The truth is, is that it was insane because it could be 10 o'clock at night, and if I didn't have strawberries in the house, I would be getting in the car to go to find a grocery store that had good strawberries. Hmm. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's the addiction. It's the thinking. It's not the substance. Yeah. Are we, uh, do you think society is becoming more understanding of some of this stuff and realizing it's a disease, uh, or do we still have work to do there, Ian? Well, I... I, I think that we're doing a little better, but I think that there are still so many people that think it's a moral, an, an issue of moral compass. You mm-hmm. know, just say no. I always make a joke that if you know, if I could have said no, I would have. I, who, who who wants to end up in a life that I led? Right. Um, so obviously, it is a disease, and yes, we're having a little bit of movement on that. I think we have to educate our professionals more. I think uh, you know the the. the these problems exist. People show up at the emergency room. There's no help for them, really, because there's nowhere for them to go. You know, doctors like to treat people with pills. They don't want to understand that, you know, addiction is a mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual problem with really a spiritual solution. I'm not talking about God or religion. I'm talking about you have cancer of the soul. We have to figure out how to fix the cancer of the soul for the addiction to go away. Yeah. And do you always need professional help, like the help you can get at Aurora, or can you sometimes do it on your own? I, I, I have met very, maybe 1% of the thousands of people I've met over the years can do it on their own. Often a, a new job or a new partner or a new baby will keep them good for a while. And then ultimately they'll fall back into the same addiction. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I have seen people have success through church or team challenge or other methods as well. And I think, I think because the reality is, is when people use drugs and alcohol or gaming or gambling or sex, they're looking for something to fill a void. Yeah. And they're going to look for it until they find it. And wherever they find that answer, the drugs and that lifestyle filled the void. You all of a sudden had an immediate family of people that were doing the same stuff, whether it be stupid or not, they were doing the same stuff as you. So you have to find that common interest, that common ground, and, and look for a common solution. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we do at Aurora Recovery Center. And um, you know, we, we, we have both the detox and the treatment side, recovery side, because you know, we first have to get people stable off of the, whatever, they're, whatever they're doing. We have to separate them from their environment and get them stable. Right. And once they're stable, then we can start working with the mind and the soul, which is really where the answer has to come. Um, for people with addiction. Mm-hmm. And so we still need lots more facilities like Aurora out there, don't we? Well, I, I would suggest that the more beds, the better. I think that we did a count recently of number of treatment beds, public and private in Canada, and I think there's maybe 2,200 beds total for 38 million people. And uh, if you think that you think on the average of 10 to 15 to maybe more percent of people being addicted, you know, you're, you're looking at 30,000, 38,000 or 40,000 beds. We have nothing near that. So yeah. I would suggest that uh, even in the indication that today, as of today, if a person that wants to get into a public treatment center wants help, they will not get an assessment date for six to eight weeks, an assessment date, not an intake date, an assessment date for at least six to eight weeks to even be assessed at the Addictions Foundation in Manitoba. And and here in Manitoba, are we better or worse than that national average, those numbers you talked about? Uh, we're, about, we're, about in the, we're, about, we're about in that national average. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that um, we're about right in the middle of it. Yeah. Hey, Ian, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Hal. I really appreciate uh, talking about this. You know, you know that I have a passion for it, and yep. people can inbox me on my Facebook Find me at Aurora Recovery Center or however, and I'm glad to help in any way I can. Ian Rabb, thank you, sir. No problem. Ian Rabb, Aurora Recovery Center, up by Gimli. Our question of the day at cjob.com. Have you ever offered food to a panhandler instead of spare change? And the voting right now sits at 82% no, 18% yes, saying yes. And joining us on the phone now, Lucille Bruce. She is the CEO of End Homelessness Winnipeg. And Lucille, thank you very much for doing this today. You're very welcome. Yeah, I wanted to have you on for a couple minutes to talk about this because uh, overall, most of the response I'm getting to this by text or phone or email is, yes, I have done that. Even the voting says, even though the voting says no, most people are saying, yeah, I have. And I have certainly offered a coffee or something to somebody who I feel needs help uh, and, uh, and they may be homeless. Is that the right thing to do, Lucille? Because I think that's the problem here. We don't know what the right thing is to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, people really care about what's happening and about people who are on the street homeless. And people's response vary. Uh, when it comes to uh, offering someone food or a beverage, it's really up to the individual that makes the choice to offer them that. Mm. Um, when it comes to people who are panhandling, um, 
we we want to make sure that people understand that people who are panhandling panhandling have a right to use of public space yeah. and um, and so how people respond to them uh, is really totally up to their choice whether they offer them a free uh, a beverage or food or 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 money that's really up to people to decide. There are other options also available, though, that the public needs to be aware of, and that you can donate to programs uh, that offer services to those in need, particularly, um, you know, the shelters, for example, Salome Mission, Main mm-hmm. Street Project, Salvation Army, and other homelessness-serving agencies, um, because they really look after trying to accommodate people, people's needs in, in a much more comprehensive way. So there is that option. When it comes to offering um, uh, money to people who are uh, doing unsafe panhandling, then that becomes an issue. And I'm talking about people who are panhandling, for example, on dangerous intersections. Then we're talking about putting people's lives at risk, the panhandlers themselves and the motorists too, because it only takes a few seconds to become distracted. So we're saying um, when it comes to giving money to uh, people who are panhandling in those major unsafe intersections, there clearly is a better option of giving. Yeah, and I think the reason we're asking the question at CGOB.com, have you ever offered food to a panhandler instead of spare change, is because sometimes people feel when they give money to a panhandler, that money may go toward drugs or alcohol. And if you offer food, it's a good thing. You know they're going to eat that food, and uh, it will help somebody uh, who is homeless and in need. So... I think that's why people feel better about giving food. But I often wonder when I do give, I, I, maybe six months ago, I saw a guy at his dog, and I'm kind of a dog lover, and the guy looked real down on his luck, and he had his dog, and I felt bad. And I gave him $20, and then I thought, did I do the right thing? I want to do the right thing. And I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, donating to Siloam and some of these uh, other organizations that do help the homeless. But you understand, I'm sure, Lucille, the... The problem we have is as Winnipeggers and Manitobans who care and just want to do the right thing here. Yes, I certainly do understand that. You know, and but we also understand there there are different reasons why people panhandle and um um there are some of it does uh, is because of uh, addiction but there's also other issues people are are panhandling because uh, they can't make their paycheck last for the month so they resort to panhandling or they need to supplement their income because they're needing some medication um, so there's all kinds of uh, uh, multiple reasons why people resort, result to panhandling. Mm. It's not just because of addiction. Addiction is one possible reason, but it's not the only reason. Yeah, right. Hey, Lucille, I've got to go. I'm right out of time, but thank you very much. I appreciate it. 
Thank you so much. Lucille Bruce is the CEO of End Homelessness Winnipeg.